Some days are terrible. You wish that you were dead, and some days are magical, like grape banana bread. Someday we'll be friends with the voices in our heads. The voices in our heads. The voices in our butts. They go. Hi guys, it's the last episode of twenty. Goddamn motherfuck cunt shit twenty. Happy, happy Wednesday. Congratulations on not killing yourself, which is a theme in my life. Uh, killing yourself, doing it or don't doing it. Uh, lately, we'll get to that. I mean, obviously, I didn't do it, and it's not about me, but it's about someone else that I saw try to do it. <laughs> uh oh, stay tuned. What a cliffhanger. I was walking to Starbucks before I recorded this episode that I'm doing the night before it comes out. Sorry, Mike, you're a gem. Thank you for doing this so last minute. It's not like we got other shit to do. That's a lie. We have other shit. You know, we can read and and we can stretch on our yoga mats in our living room and we can try to escape the perils of our children. Oh, I'm so... Okay, okay, Kevin, I get it. Wow, you don't like hearing me podcast. Fucking bitch. I feel, man, if you have kids right now, how are you doing? You okay? Because all Christmas, I just kept thinking, I'm so glad that Kevin is a dog and not a child. Because then it's just, you're, you're, you know, I give him what he needs in terms of food and shelter and clothing and, and walking and all that stuff. And we play a lot. But he doesn't talk back. And honestly, that's helpful. All he does is love me. I ain't ready to be that selfless for a baby do you ever think about that if you're i don't know maybe men and women think about this alike but i'm like oh i wonder if i'll ever have kids i really don't know but i have i don't have i don't have any feelings about it if i do cool if i don't awesome save some money (laughs) yeah but anyway i was walking to starbucks before i got i pressed the record button the night before this comes out And then I saw a very elderly lady dressed to the goddamn nines, which is, you know, one of my life goals. But she was in an electric wheelchair. And I was like, they see me rolling, they hating, patrolling, they trying to catch me running, I'm like, what a badass bitch. She had no idea that was her theme song in that moment. I don't, I have a show coming up. Just one, just one little show, okay? Dave Attell one of the best stand-up comedians in the history of planet Earth is I last year he does this famous weekends at Caroline's on Broadway, which is a comedy club that's closed right now because, you know, COVID, remember COVID? But in New Jersey, they don't give a fuck. So David Tell is performing at the Stress Factory in New Brunswick, New Jersey on New Year's Eve. I'm not going to be there New Year's Eve or the 1st of January. But I will be there January 2nd featuring for him. But if you are looking for New Year's Eve plans, I was going to do a thing with Donna, but I don't I don't know. I'm just tired. I just got to do me for a little bit for like a second as I prepare for Feel Your Feelings January. But yeah, David Tell, Stress Factory. I don't know if the tickets are sold out for New Year's Eve, but if you're looking for something to do, there's obviously it's going to be masks, socially distance, all that shit. But I will be featuring for David Tell at the Stress Factory in New Brunswick on January 2nd, which I believe is a Saturday. So come see us or suck a dick. You know what I mean? Guys, speaking of suck a dick, let's do some fuckboy theater, huh? Let's do some. Let's do some fuckboy theater. (laughs) 
let's just suck a dick and do some fuckboy theater. This girl DM'd me these screenshots yesterday, and I was like, well, that, I mean, isn't that just manifest destiny pieces of shit? Because I was thinking to myself, I was like, I want to do a longer conversation for fuckboy Friday. And then lo and behold, or fuckboy theater, rather, this gal's like, your wish is my command, bitch. Okay, so this is between a lady and a fuckboy named Zames. <laughs> His name's James. Okay, ready? This is their this is the start of their conversation. Guys, if you're depressed, put that knife down because this isn't gonna make you feel any better. Okay. Hey James, what is your favorite thing about you? I'll probably scare you off by saying. Oh, so mysterious. Go on, whisper it to me. I like my dick. That's great. Ha ha. It's so interesting how different people communicate online versus in real life. Now it's about making it your your fave thing. You'd be surprised. I'm pretty direct in person, too. I believe you, and I can tell you're a Leo. Me too. Fiery. Fire emoji. Fire emoji. Add forward naughty and dominant to that. <laughs> what kind of dominant? Sexually. No, I get that. But in what ways do you enjoy dominating? It's not an overly intellectual endeavor. It's base instinct of having you gag on my cock and dominating your body thereafter. Is my pleasure important to you? That's a good question. I would say no. Yes, though derived through my dominance. How would you bring me pleasure through your dominance? You wanting me to dominate your body, top to toe. <laughs> <laughs> this guy sucks. Mm, I'm not sure I'm into that. I need a balance of tenderness and wild animal, and with wild animal and domination. The cuddling would happen after. Once I had dominated all your holes. <laughs> no, that wouldn't work for me. Feel free to unmatch me, if not your cup of chai. Thanks for giving me permission, winky face. You're welcome. Feminist. I roll emoji. <laughs> and scene. You're welcome. First of all, Y-O-U-R. Of course he spelled it Y-O-U-R. Come on. We haven't been pissed off enough times by people correcting the type of your we meant to type that we're still doing it wrong, huh? Well, I guess that's what happens when all the blood that your body has to offer is in your cock. But the you're welcome feminist with the eye roll emoji, it brought me so much holiday joy. <laughs> fucking asshole. You stupid piece of shit. You wouldn't know what feminism was if it cut your dick off and started sucking on your nuts. Am I in a mood? Yeah, I'm bleeding. 
because I'm not pregnant, okay? It's that kind. I remember when I was a kid, a memory came to me today. When I was a kid uh, of about five or six, that was a rough year. Um, uh, uh, one of my best friends was a girl who had a twin brother, and her twin brother told me one day we were playing in their backyard. He goes, I forget what I said to him. I was like, "What boys have a wiener that they pee out of. <laughs> As if that was some burn. And then he was like, whatever, girls get their period and they pee out of their butt. And I was like, wait, really? Is that what happens? Wait, is that, you guys, is that what happens? And everyone's like, oh, maybe, yeah, probably. I'm like, wait, that seems unmanageable. Ha! <laughs> uh, anything you can do, I can do bleeding. I can do anything bleeding out onto the floor. I mean, it's bad. I think God's punishing me for not having a baby and a, and a husband and not massaging his feet or something right now. God's like, oh, girl, you done fucked up. And I was like, sorry, God. What would you like me to do? And God's like, well, I'd like you to have a baby. And I'm like, well, you go fuck yourself then, God. See you later. I was at the Soho house this week. The Soho House. If you don't know what the Soho House is, if I could describe the Soho House in um, an accent, it would be the Soho House. Do you going to the Soho House? It's a very fancy place. And I've been wanting, you have to be a member, but you have to get like recommended. This It's such bullshit. It's all, it's all the bullshit of high school, but it's like if you have money, you're in the club. Do you know what I mean? Except you need people to recommend you to get a membership. And it's, it's, it's pricey. I got it a year ago. And we, Corinne and I have had a lot of meetings at Soho House. So it's, it's really cool. It's a, be- I'm a huge interior design buff. And the interiors of Soho House, they have three locations in New York and they have locations around this United States of Erica, and obviously in Soho, London. That's how the British people talk. You're welcome. I know. I'm really good. Um, and it's just you go there. It's a workspace. You go there um, and you work. But it's really nice. You can take meetings there, all that stuff. So I was there at Soho House. And then I, I, I did a show at Soho House the day that New York City got a blizzard that night. Uh, my friend who produces comedy is like, oh, I'm doing a show at Ludlow House. That's the one I go to. And I was like, well, I'm a member. Not a I know where the entrance is. And she's like, OK, well, then come. And I was like, yeah, I know what door to ring because I'm a member. And she's like, I don't. Can you just come? And I'm like, OK, but I'm a member. So fuck you. <laughs> and. uh and then uh, a friend, a colleague of mine, a male comedian, shows up at the Soho at the Ludlow House the same time as us, me because he's he's there for the show, and we go in and uh, and we're outside and he was like, "Do you know what door to use?" I'm like, "I do," and I didn't want to say I was a member because com- comedians make fun of each other as they should, and I was like, "I don't want to ask to be made fun of right now by saying I'm a member," so I'll just say I do know. And then I was at one of the doors and I was ringing that bell, ringing that bell, ringing that bell. No one was answering, and I was texting. The girl who invited me to do the show, and I was like, I don't know what. No one's answering the door, and she's like, Are you sure you're at the right one? And I was like, Yeah. And as we were having this conversation, the comedian, the male comedian, and I were outside, and he starts roasting the Soho House, how fancy it is, and how much you know bullshit, elitist bullshit. And I was like, <laughs> I know, right? It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and then he started roasting all anyone who would dare be a member at the Soho House, and. <laughs> 
I, I was laughing because what he was saying was really funny. And he was right. Like, he was dead on. But then it got to the point where I had to be like, hey, uh, oh, boy. Because if he ever found out, if he ever found out, even if it was 10 years from now that I was a member while he was telling me that, I just feel, I felt comfortable. So I was like, yeah, it's fucking elitist pricks. <laughs> Full disclosure, uh, I am a member here. But, you know, <laughs> I get a discount. I don't get a discount, but I just felt like a loser saying that. That I pay for it. I thought it was funny. Actually, I wanted to talk about this last week. Because, um, you know, we should be keeping that conversation about race going, right? Right? White people, we got to listen. We got to shut the fuck up and listen, okay? Just listen. Can you listen, please, white people? I need to listen, too. I'm a whitey. I'm technically a Jew, but I did not know that until two years ago, and I present as white, so I will go on as such a white. But an experience, one of the comedians on the show, he was going first. There was only a couple people in the showroom at the Soho House show um, because it was the, in the middle of the first blizzard to hit New York City. So I was surprised anyone was there. But I was like, ooh, three people. There were three people in the audience. And though, as a comic... Just especially because shows are few and far between. I was really excited because I'm like, this is an uncomfortable situation. And it is my job to have a comfortable, funny conversation with these three people, um, you know, for my set, for the time that I have allotted, which was like 10 minutes, 12 minutes. Anyway, the first comic to go up, he was he took a bullet. He's a black guy. And he I'm not going to say his name because I don't I don't know if he wants this. I don't don't, want to say his name because I don't want to. I don't know. But I'm not sure. I just don't say it. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, he he went up, he started to do his set, and then he asked one of uh, the audience, which was three people, like, hey, are you guys marching? Have you guys marched in the Black Lives Matter march- uh, marches? I think he just said, have you marched? Have you been marching? And right away, this one girl was like, nope. It, it, and then one of the comics, Rojo Perez, great fucking comedian, he goes, ooh, she said no with a hard ER. And I was like, oh, yeah, she did. Yikes. It was, it was very uncomfortable. And then the comedian was kind of flabbergasted because these are the moments that when you're doing stand-up comedy and it's pre-COVID, we're doing four or five s- sets a night. You know, not all of us, not me. The most I've ever done was four. But uh, a lot of comics that, that are like, you know, a lot of comics do four or five sets a night. And so every once in a while, you're going to get like a really interesting interaction with an audience member, whether it be good or bad, right? And so the second he goes, "Are you, have you guys been marching? And the audience was, the woman was like, no. And we're like, oh, no. And he, of course, was going to inquire further. That's what you do when you're a comic. And she starts, I don't know, she wasn't black. This woman was not black. She, she looked white. She looked white. Okay? She looked white. And sometimes people get treated based on how they look. So she looked white. That's all you really need to know. That's all I knew about her. She said, I just think that whole thing's a fad. And I was like, oh, oh, bitch. Did you just say that, bitch? Me and Ro were looking at each other like, are you fucking kidding? And the comic was, you could tell, the comedian who's a seasoned comic, writes for a very popular television show, is very talented, was like, didn't have words at the moment. And a lot of his bits were about being a black man. And he, 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 he inquired a little bit further and he's like, okay, so it's just, you know, he was commenting a little bit as much as he could in that moment of like, you could tell it, it hurt him a lot because this woman was just being so cavalier about Black Lives Matter is just like a fat. Like, fuck you. We're in Soho House. She's a fucking member. 
ew, right? <laughs> ew, right? Yeah, ew. <laughs> this is gross. Um, and she's being a little cunt. I don't know this woman, but she's being a little cunt. And the comic had all these other bits that he wanted to do, but they're all about being a black man in America. And he's like, I just, I just, and you could tell he was at a loss for words, but it was, we talked to him, we all talked after the show and I was telling him, I was like, oh, it, it was honestly, I know that was probably very painful for you and, and not fun, but it was really interesting to see your brain, your all your wheels were turning. And I could tell you were going through all your resources because we have not been doing shows, guys. So when we do get a show, we're like, oh, every show counts. This is the only 10 minutes I have all week, you know? So he's fucking pissed that this bitch ruined his set. I wouldn't say ruined, but um, but then he starts telling me how he's like, I had my head beat in my skull by a police officer. So for her to tell me, and I was like, oh, my God. <sighs> Yo, I, and I wish, I so badly wish at that point when he was telling me that all, the audience had left. There was only three people. They left. But I was like, wow, man. Wow. I wish the whole, I wish everyone could have seen that moment because, oh, my heart ached. I was so, I was, oh, and I saw his heart ache and I was like, God damn it. White people just shut the fuck just shut the fuck up you know says this white lady who's just talking for an hour but you, you know what i mean like just oh god that hurt my fucking heart <sighs> i don't know the point of that i just wanted to tell you that because it's like uh people have like black lives matter marches were going in the summer and in the in the fall and then you know it's cold at least in new york it's cold but Shit's still happening, okay? Racism didn't go away. So let's all just, you know, obviously, if you're not a white person, you know that. But if you are a whitey, just shut up and listen, okay? We could all be better people and and just shut up and listen. I just wanted to remind you of that. Are you guys ready for Feel Your Feelings January? I've been preparing. I'm going to read. I'm going to finish up the Daddy Burns book today. And I'm just going to go over a few things in it. And then, it, look, if you want to read the rest of it, like, just get it or whatever. I don't know what to do. But that, I don't. I started The Tao of Fully Feeling is a book we're going to do for Feel Your Feelings January. And at the end of this episode, after I wrap up the feeling great, I'm going to read the intro, parts, parts of the intro to this book, and just one little excerpt of a chapter. Because I started, I first discovered this book, The Tao Fully Feeling, uh, by Pete Walker on Audible. I really love the narrator's voice. That helps me. That matters a lot to me. If the narrator has good intonation and, I don't know, I just, I like the narrator's voice. And, I'm, and, I, and I bought the book because I knew I wanted to do it for Feel Your Feelings January. And whenever I do a deep dive into a book, it always helps me to, you know, have a physical copy because I'll read through it again after listening to it and highlight shit. And I'm holding this book in my hand. And, I, you know, if I saw this at a bookstore, you really can't judge a book by its cover. Every time I see a shitty book cover or every time I love a book and I look at the cover and I go, would I get this based off the cover? It's always a no. Um, like there, there's a photo of the author on the back of the on this book. It's only 16 bucks. It's a soft cover copy. It's, I would have thought it's self-pub... It's not self-published, but I would have thought it was self-published. Like, there's a very blurry picture of the author in the back of the book, and he kind of looks like a serial killer. So I would have I would have absolutely judged this book by its cover. But I was re-listening to the audiobook for, like, the third time just to kind of get a, get a feel for this again, because I know we're going to dive into it. And this book is... 
has facilitated a lot of emotional ups and downs and realizations because not only is it dive into the psychology of feelings, but it's poetic about it. And there's a lot of poets that he quotes and just beautiful excerpts. This book is so beautifully written. Um, And I was listening to the audio version on the on the way back from Christmas Eve. So I was seeing my nephew and my brother. And just to get in the zone. And I was just crying, crying, crying. So at the end of this episode, we're just going to we're going to start the, the Tao fully feeling by reading some of the intro and then a, and a paragraph of this one little part to give you an idea of the poeticism of this book and also how intense it is, because <laughs> I feel like you should not be operating heavy machinery while listening to me read some of these parts. OK, OK. Man, I have a lot of plumbing problems in my apartment. A lot of plumbing problems. My 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 dishwasher. Yes, I have a dishwasher. Okay, suck my nuts if that makes you jelly. <laughs> it's a real shitty dishwasher, and there's food at the bottom of it in the back, and I'm like, I'm never gonna get that. I'm never. It's to, I. I got some fears in my life. They're all stupid. It's They all make me laugh. One of them is, I forget what it's called, but how I'm really sensitive about acne and like breakouts. A guy had messaged me saying, I think you have this fear and it's like fear of all these like little holes and things or a poor, I don't know. And I looked, I looked up to what the word meant, some kind of phobia. I looked it up and, I, and the Google images sent me hyperventilating right away. And I was like, yes, I do have that fear. Okay. But one of my other things that I'm like, I can't, Oh, it makes my skin crawl is soggy food like bread. That's if you like a piece of bread that falls off into the sink and gets wet. Oh, my God. I want to (laughs) die. What the fuck is that? Was I killed by a soggy piece of bread in the 1800s? Perhaps that's where I go. That's where my head goes. Oh, yeah. But see my uh, yeah, I have a lot of plumbing problems. Finish the topic, Christina. Okay, I'm on my period. All right. A lot of plumbing. So my dishwasher not working. And then if my kitchen sink, if you run water through it, it just goes, the pipe's broken. Like there's a, a hole the size of a phone in the pipe. <laughs> All of a sudden it just happened. And then the pipe's just, the pipe's broken. And so the water just runs in. So I can't wash my dishes, but I also can't wash my di- in the dishwasher or in the sink because none of that's working. And then I realized I got a lot of plumbing problems because I have two bathrooms. Not a brag. Upstairs, there's a lighter stuck in the this bathroom sink upstairs that I have to fish out somehow. Ever, everything I've used to try to get it's too slippery. <laughs> and then downstairs, the sink's clogged, and I've put so many cans of Drano in that shit. And I've tried to fish out all the hair. I don't even know what's in there. I don't wash. I don't shower down there, but it's the sink. And then the toilet's broken. I mean. And I'm just, when stuff breaks, I'm like, well, that's just going to be broken until I move out. <laughs> yes, we can. We are women. Hear us roar. Women can get the job done. <laughs> A lot of plumbing problems. But my Christmas was so nice. I went down to see my brother with Kevin. We drove down. We got a, I got a zip car and it was a very shitty car. Oh, it sucked. It was making noises. I thought it was going to blow off the highway the whole time. And I was like, Kevin, sorry if I kill you. Kevin was like, I don't care. Just give me that bone. And I was like, you're so simple, Kevin. I love it. 
got to see my nephew, so I spent the 23rd and 24th there, and I went home on the 24th. Uh, I went home on Christmas Eve, and it was pouring rain. Oh, my God. The car felt like it was going to blow off the highway. Like, I was swerving, to, and I'm a good driver. I was swer- I had my hands at 10 and 2, motherfucker. My seat was all the way up against that steering wheel so that my eyes were closer to the, sh- to the windshield because it was raining so goddamn hard that I could barely fucking see. And I was like, Merry Christmas, darling. <laughs> Happy New Year to... <laughs> but my nephew, every time I see him, he gets older and older. You know, that's how time works. And it still blows my mind. But he was playing all these songs on Siri. And he was playing the song that he, I guess one of his favorite songs is just an instrumental track from a video game. And my brother goes, ask Brantley what is what the song is. It's his favorite song. What's it called? And I was like, Brantley, what's the song called? And he, and he goes, it's called Finger Bang. And I was like, whoa, Houston, that's too adult for him to say, right? No one cares. No one's going to beat his ass. Oh, oh, my parents aren't raising him. My brother's raising him over. Oh, okay. That's different circumstances, huh? Good for him. No, I'm happy. If I would have said the word finger bang in front of my fucking parents at any point in time. Oh, my God. They would have cried. It's wild. I still haven't talked to them, which makes me very sad. But, you know, I, oh, I just don't know what to do. But honestly, this book that we're going to get into this new book for Feel Your Feelings January is going to... I'm just going to heal in front of you. Might as well. You know what I mean? I've been doing it for a while anyway. Doing it for a while. So then my Christmas day... So that was my Christmas Eve. I went home. I I made it home. Thank God. Really thought I was going to crash. So it was so windy and rainy. Um, Kevin and I made it home. I returned the car. Christmas morning, it was so nice. Woke up, we went to Starbucks. You know, we opened presents. He, I, gave, I got him, oh, I got him too many presents. Because he doesn't need, ha- I mean, whatever. He was so happy. Oh, he was so happy. I was so excited to like, to watch him, to see how he reacted to a present. Like, it's really cool. I can't imagine, you know, what it's like to have a kid in that, in a lot of ways. And one of them is that, like, watching them experience something for the first time has got to be wild. It delights the motherfucking shit out of me to see my dog step in snow for the first time you know it's really cool i can't imagine how it must feel to see a human being that was living in your coochie experiencing of the majestic horse for the first time you know everything that's got to be wild but kevin and i he opened presents he loved it and then it was nice it was a really nice it was nice. I cooked him. Um, I got this fancy dog food that I cooked him. That was nice. And then we, um, and then we went to the dog park after we opened presents. My, I came home on Christmas Eve and I saw that there was a package from my parents and I was like, oh god, oh, they sent me a package. Fuck. Oh. And I just start. I lost it and I was like, okay, well, I'm clearly over this and fine and it's okay. Um, and then I opened it on Christmas morning and it was really sweet. It was a, a it was, <laughs> it was very. It was very parenty. Like it was a, it was a definitely a gift for my parents. Like, even if they didn't put a return address on it, I would have known who it was from. It was a pair of winter leggings, which I, they were so comfy, and a pair of winter socks. And this card, it wasn't a holiday card, but it had a poem on it. And the poem is like a really long poem, and it made me fucking cry my goddamn face off. 
Maybe I'll read it one day, but not today. I can't cry. I've cried enough. I'm bleeding, y'all. <sighs> so yeah, we went to the dog park after opening presents, and I saw a poodle. Well, it was a Bichon, I believe. It was a fluffy white dog, okay? I don't give a fuck what dog it was. But all these people are like, well, it's this dog. And then somebody else is like, no, it's this dog. I'm like, how about, I don't give a fuck. It's a fluffy white dog that was wearing a Zoolander sex suit. Holy shit. I was cracking up. I posted a video of this dog on my Instagram, at Christina Hutch. It's the it's a, a post on my main feed. This dog looks like it's wearing a goddamn sex suit because everything was covered except his feet, its head, its butthole, and its big old dick, donkey dick. That dog's donkey dick was dangling from his sweatsuit. Should I write children's books? Yeah, I think I should. I think I should. I was laughing so hard at this goddamn fluffy white dog wearing a sex suit and then the owner saw all of a sudden I looked over and the owner saw that I was filming his dog and cracking up at the dog and I don't think he liked that very much and I was like well Merry Christmas to you I'm just gonna keep on going now and then I was walking home and you know I talked about this last week about suicide season and the holidays and how it's high and how I saw a guy falling off the ferry I guess he passed away. I don't I don't really know what happened with that. Um, but then when I was walking Kevin back from this lovely day at the dog park on Christmas, which is also my mom's birthday, so my heart was heavy and it was, it was just all these things going through my mind. A uh, fucking guy jumps in. It's, well, I don't know, 25 degrees out. Guy jumps into the East River. Okay? He jumps into the East River. At the same spot at that ferry terminal. I mean, and I was like, no. And then there were all like 25 fire trucks i've never seen that many fire trucks in one place and about 10 ambulance ambuli that's the plural for ambulance right ambuli and it was the sun had just set and the woman a woman who saw it was walking her dog and she was like this guy was running up to the railing leading into the east river you know the railing up against the East River. He was running and kind of pretending like he was jumping and then he would run back and then he would run back towards the railing and pretend like he was jumping. And he's like, we all thought, she's like, we all thought he was joking and then he just jumped in and I heard the splash. I didn't see him jump in, but I heard the splash because I was walking towards that area and everyone was like freaking out, screaming and I was like, oh, uh uh-oh, danger, danger. And you know me, y'all, child of trauma. I'm always in fight or flight. When I hear danger, I run right goddamn towards it. Is it a tornado of fire? Stay here, Kev. I'm going to run into it, okay? So all these, and then the uh, FDNY diving team came, and it was about a good 20 minutes. He he was swimming, and then he went under. And it was about a good 20 minutes that he was, I, it, I'm like, this guy, unless he's under the docks, there's no way, you know? But my brain functions very highly in fight or flight when it's about somebody else. When it's about me, I'm like, you know, but if it's somebody else in danger, I'm like, all right, you hold the dog. I'm going to get the scuba gear on and I'm going to go find him. And again, I was at the river and I was like, well, this is deja goddamn motherfucking vu, isn't it? Because I was like, all right, sad guy, where are you? You're in this river somewhere. And so many people have told me I'm psychic and I just need to hone in on the sad energy. But I was like, he's got to be dead. He's been underwater for so long. And then I, they took his body out and he looked he looked like he was not alive. Um, he was a young man. and uh, But I somebody messaged me, DM me, and they, they sent an article and I, I looked it up. 
they took him to Bellevue Hospital in critical condition. So, uh, so I'm not sure what happened to him, but I hope he's okay. Uh, it was sad. It was very sad. It was very triggering. And uh, because I think I've talked about it on this podcast, but the one of the one of the moments in my life that that is on the real on the trauma real the montage of traumatic of moments of my life, and this is why I'm like really excited slash horrified to go into this book in front of people, but uh, or like with you because it's it's a lot. It's intense, um, at least for me. Is the day before I moved away to Penn State, my mom uh, tried to take her own life, and I was under the impression that she did, that she jumped in front of a train. I thought she did because I was on the phone with her, and then I heard the train. So, and I, she, I, by the way, she was talking. She was on shitty medication. I know that that fucked with her, but I thought I was running towards the tracks. And in my head, I was like, is she going to, am I going to see her head? Are her guts going to be everywhere? Is it going to be body parts? Is it just going to be smashed everywhere? Is she, what am I going to see? Like, what am I about to see? So that, and then, so when the, when they pulled that guy's body out of the water, he looked, to me, he looked dead, but, so I thought he was dead in the moment. And I was just like, (gasps) I had a panic attack and I was like, okay, Kevin, it's time to leave. You're hungry, right? And then... (laughs) I'm I can laugh at it now because I really I've let myself cry about it um and I've and I've and I've and I've really I've revisited that particular moment in my life a lot and I've cried about it a lot and so I can now recall it and not cry which is great because I mean there's got to be a goddamn point in your life where all the bad things that happen to you don't make you fucking cry right right (laughs) right guys right there's a moment where all the shit don't make you cry eventually right Somebody who's in their 80s, email me, please. Okay. We went, yeah, so, uh, I forget what I was saying. I got sidetracked. But, um, oh, that's what I was saying. <laughs> they pulled his body out, thought it was dead, and I was, you know, being truly psychologically triggered. And I was like, okay, I'm having time to go home. And I looked at the clock, and I realized that in approximately 45 minutes, I had to get on YouTube Live to do a nativity play that I wrote with my good pal Donna. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. I gotta go, bitch. You got a nativity play to read in an hour. Everyone's gonna be watching. I'm like, well, if that ain't my goddamn life. It's so funny. There were so many parallels to the that time with my mom because the next day, um, the next day after that happened, I had to move to Penn State. Just moved to college and didn't tell anybody about it. It's a lot, man. It's a lot. But we're moving and we're growing and we're glowing and we're showing our wounds. <laughs> It's it's so if anybody knows what happened to that man, please uh, let me know. I hope he's okay. God damn! When I say congrats on not killing yourself, we live in a world of instant gratification. I will say this book is gonna oh it's gonna help you. So let me before before we go into the Dow fully feeling and and I introduce you to this truly life changing book. I'm gonna try to keep it on at an hour or under. Okay, I say that, but I say that. Too. So I just I highlighted a bunch of parts. Um, the rest of Feeling Great by Daddy Burns talks about more cognitive distortions. And so I've highlighted a few parts that we can talk about before we get into the tears. Fucking cry. Crying from my vagina right now in my eyes and all my holes. Not crying from my butthole because I did not eat a burrito. 
is this riveting podcasting? Are you are you entertained? So a cognitive distortion that's still left for us to talk about, according to Dottie Burns, is emotional reasoning. I feel like I do that. <laughs> emotional reasoning. That's when you reason from how you feel. For example, wait, what? Emotional reasoning. You reason from how you feel. Oh, okay. I get it now. <laughs> I did read this like twice. So your reasoning for things comes from how you feel. For example, if you feel like a loser, then you conclude that you really are a loser. Or if you feel unlovable, then you conclude that you really are unlovable. Or if you feel hopeless, then you conclude that you really are hopeless and you will never recover from your depression. The consequences of emotional reasoning can sometimes be disastrous. Oh, God, this is fucking relatable to what I just goddamn talked about. Okay. The consequences of emotional reasoning can sometimes be disastrous. Some depressed individuals who feel hopeless are so convinced that they really are hopeless that they take their own lives. Ugh. Hopelessness is probably the most common cause of suicide. That makes sense, because all the times I wanted to kill myself, was I feeling hopeless? A ding, ding, ding. You got that right. And it's a devastating tragedy for the patient the family, and the therapist who is treating the patient. Yeah, well, I don't really care about them right now, okay? The tragedy is made even worse by the fact that the feelings of desperation and hopelessness that trigger suicide do not result from the truth, but from negative thoughts that are massively distorted. That's why all of these things that we've been talking about are cognitive distortions. I've often said that depression is the world's oldest con, and this con artist can sometimes try to steal your life. Yeah, no shit, Daddy Burns. And this is why, you know, I was reading, part of why I really want to go into this Dow book now is because, look, yes, he, I agree with what he's saying. You feel hopeless, right? And and your your brain can make you really, really do a good job at convincing you that you are, and then you could take your own life. That's, yes, that's a lot of times that's how that happens. But don't you can't set aside the hopelessness. You have to. I know that you can do things with it like David Burns is talking about, like making pros and cons lists and all that stuff. But when you're in the fucking thick of it, the last thing you want to goddamn do is a fucking exercise or a journal entry. Sorry, but that's I mean, I can't sometimes when I'm feeling at my least good. The last thing I want to do is a goddamn activity. OK, so that's why. This fucking Dow book is great. But let me just focus on the book at hand. Sorry. Um, examining the evidence. Oh, wait. Whoops. We're still on emotional reasoning. So if you feel like you're a goddamn piece of shit, then your brain concludes, well, I guess I'm a goddamn piece of shit. Here are some examples of negative emotional reasoning. Being Christina Hutchinson. Oh, sorry. I'm feeling really anxious and scared, so I must be in danger. I feel guilty, so I must be bad. <sighs> I feel angry, so this must be your fault. I feel ashamed, so these people are probably judging me. I feel like that's a common one. I'm feeling shy and insecure, so she probably notices my anxiety and doesn't like me. And then he goes and shoots up a mall and writes a goddamn manifesto. <sighs> I mean, just goddamn. I feel like he is a total jerk, so he must be a jerk. During a panic attack, you may feel like you are about to die. <sighs> yep. Or are on the verge of going crazy. You nailed it again, Daddy. <clears throat> so you conclude that you really are about to die or you ha are about to have a psychotic break. That's what it feels like. Oh, it sucks. 
But when I had that panic attack, when that guy was being pulled out of the water, it was, it was I don't even even call it a full-blown panic attack. It was like a, <laughs> like I just, but I, but I, I wasn't like, it was weird. There wasn't like a, a thunderstorm in my head like there usually is. I was just like, okay, we got to get out of here. <laughs> okay, I got to do my nativity play. <laughs> Positive emotional reasoning is just the opposite. You feel so happy and worthwhile that you're absolutely certain good things are about to happen. Well, then that sound fun. He's so cute, so he must be really nice. <laughs> That's me. If I'm attracted to someone, they're the king of the world. I mean, that was the old me, by the way. He's so cute, he must be really nice. And then parentheses, he could be someone you just met who turns out to be extremely controlling, narcissistic, abusive, or self-centered. That reminds me, uh, I got a Christmas card addressed to my fucking ex-boyfriend two days ago. And I was like, really? And it was from a member, I'm pretty sure a member of his family. And I was like, no one got, no one gave her the memo that, that we broke up two years ago? No one told her, huh? They just, they, she thinks we're dating? So she sent it to my place. Okay. And then I realized that, you know, if you don't live in New York, you don't know the fucking differences between the addresses, you know? So my address and the old address, they just, they're they're addresses to somebody who's never been here. So I get, then I was like, I get it. But then I was like, I don't want to fucking, I don't want to be like, return to sender. Sorry, he doesn't live here anymore. Because I know the relative that sent it was a very sweet lady and I I adore her. But I I don't want to see him. So what do I do, right? It probably has a check in it. And I could say, well, you could put this towards the fun that you try to sue me for, huh? Uh, Here's another example of positive emotional reasoning. She says, such inspiring and visionary things. I feel wonderful when I'm around her, so she must be wonderful. This person could be a cult leader or a con artist. Well, goddamn Daddy Burns. Yeah, just instilled the goddamn fear in me. So something you can do when you find yourself caught up in emotional reasoning is the good old technique, according to Daddy Burns, called examine the evidence. You are already familiar with this technique, but we can revisit it briefly here. Instead of jumping to conclusions based on the way you feel, you can look at the actual evidence for and against your negative thought or belief. First, you look at your daily mood journal. And, you know, like I said, if you're in, you're in, in a low low, fuck that goddamn motherfucking contest journal. You know what I mean? Like, it's OK if you think that. And see if you can find a thought that is an example of emotional reasoning, such as, I've never accomplished anything meaningful. I feel like a failure or a loser, so I must be one. I feel unlovable, so I must be unlovable. I feel hopeless, so I must be hopeless. You get the idea. Um, So if you have one of these thoughts, put the thought at the top of the examine the evidence chart. Again, this is a lot of charts. On the next page, and I'm just looking at the evidence chart. There's two columns. One says, evidence that this negative thought might be true. And then evidence that the thought might not be true. When you've listed all the evidence you could think of, put two numbers adding up to 100 in the circles at the bottom of each chart to indicate whether the evidence for or against your negative thought is more compelling. All right. So you're just basically going, which one is it? I mean, you got you guys know this. And then the positive reframing, you know, I feel damaged. Well, what are some positive things about yourself? That will come out of that thought, I feel like a damaged piece of fucking shit covered in burnt hair. Okay, well, uh, you have high standards for living, so okay. You don't want to be covered in burnt hair because it seems like you're really sad about that. I mean, this is coming from me, not Daddy Burns. Feeling damaged has motivated me to accomplish a great deal in my career. 
Well, isn't that the goddamn truth? That feels fucking personal. My anger shows that I have a moral compass and a strong sense of what's right and wrong. I mean, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Ah, the should statements. This is another cognitive distortion. Should statements. You beat yourself up or you beat other people up in your head or the world with shoulds, shouldn'ts, musts, ought tos, and have tos. And this is something I say to myself all goddamn time. And I shouldn't say that to myself. There are several types of should statements. There's self-directed should statements. You tell yourself, I shouldn't have made this mistake or I shouldn't have been so irritable. Um, other directed should statements, when you're annoyed with someone, you may tell yourself, she's got no right to say that or he shouldn't feel or think that way. These kinds of should statements cause feeling of anger and resentment, and they trigger conflicts in your relationship. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of times a wedge can be drawn between you and another person just based off of the voices in your head and not at all based off of an actual conversation that you've had with the other person. And I am guilty of that shit. Oh, am I ever. With, and it's all because of should statements. Well, they, she shouldn't have said that. But I don't tell her that she shouldn't have said that. I think she shouldn't have said that. Probably because that's a ridiculous thing to tell somebody. You should not have said that. Well, you know what, bitch? She did, okay? So guess what? Can't go back in that DeLorean to before she said it, can you? And then there's world-directed should statements. For example, it shouldn't rain today because I was planning a picnic. Well, you're just a bitch, aren't you? I'm just kidding. Or this software program shouldn't be so buggy. These kinds of should statements create feelings of frustration and exasperation. Yeah, I would say so. There are three valid uses for the word should in the English language. This is important to know because obviously the word gets thrown around a lot and sometimes it's not all bad. The laws of the universe should. When I drop a pen, it should fall to the ground because of the gravity law. It's simply doing what it should do, obeying the laws of the universe. The legal should. When you are driving down the freeway, you should not drive 90 miles an hour because it's against the law. Well, guess what, bitch? I do. Well, I don't drive 90. If I'm in a Corvette, I do. That was only once. You'll probably get a ticket and may even cause an accident. All right, all right, all right. Unless you're a green driver like me and you can suck my neck. The moral should. You should not do things that are immoral, such as, and I know that moral is like up to the beholder or whatever, but murder, lying, or cheating. We could all agree that like that's rude. You know what I mean? Um. So those are some shoulds. So like don't use them or whatever. Hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm turning the page to my more highlights. Oh, the semantic method. This is something that you can do to combat shoulds. Um, one of the easiest ways to tackle should statements is by using the semantic method. You simply substitute an expression like, it would be preferable if, or it would be great if, in place of the should statement. For example, instead of telling yourself that you shouldn't feel the way you do, you tell yourself that it would be preferable if you didn't feel that way. Or I would, I, would, I would take that one step further and say, it would be preferable if I felt joy, you know? This simple change can reduce the scolding quality of the should statement because you're using less judgmental language. And like I say time and time again, guys, if you get down on yourself and get pissed at yourself in a shamey way, it's never going to do anyone any good. It's not going to do you any good. It's not going to do your butthole any good. It's not going to do your friends and family any good. Okay? When you beat up on yourself as somebody who does that a lot, it's just so, it's bad. It's not good. 
It's not good. Don't be a little bitch. The Socratic method. The Socratic method can help you challenge should statements by allowing you to see the logic behind them. You ask yourself a series of questions that show the irrationality or absurdity of what you're telling yourself. This method was first developed by Socrates, the classical Greek philosopher, and was, I know who he is, bitch, and was popularized in the 20th century by Dr. Aaron Beck, one of the creators of cognitive therapy. Let's see if we can use a Socratic method to help Julia, this girl that they talked about earlier. Remember, she was telling herself that she should not feel frustrated with Jacob. So FYI, Jacob is Julia's son. Um, Jacob has special needs and she basically, you know, at the core of it is embarrassed. She's embarrassed about what the other mothers think of her because her kid has special needs. And, you know, at first you're like, you fucking bitch, it's your kid. But no, fuck you. Mothers are under a lot of pressure to be motherfucking perfect. And that is no one will ever be perfect. So when society expects that of you, mainly women, because not men, because your bar is very low, and you know it, and you can you can internalize that, you know. So at first I was like, well, that's rude, and then I'm like, Christina, stop judging, and I was like, okay. So Julia, remember she was telling herself that she should not feel frustrated with Jacob, which was her son. Perhaps you've also told yourself that you shouldn't feel the way you do. Well, perhaps I have every day of my goddamn life. We can ask Julia questions like this. Do parents sometimes feel frustrated with their children? The answer is yes. And what are you? I'm a parent. What follows? And sometimes I will feel frustrated with my son. So there you go. You're cured. Self-defense paradigm, acceptance paradox. The self-defense paradigm and the acceptance paradox are two opposite ways to defeat negative thoughts. When you use the self-defense paradigm, you argue with the negative thought and point out that it isn't true. See, this is why I say when you say talk back to your negative thoughts, guys. Talk back to them. Say, you got to get out of here, man. The self-defense paradigm is based on the idea that you should defend yourself from an attack, even when the attack comes from within. Ooh, spooky. When you use the acceptance paradox, you defeat the negative thought by agreeing with it with a sense of humor or inner peace. The acceptance paradox can catapult you into spiritual enlightenment, which is one of my favorite parts about it. You can experience joy, inner peace, and liberation from your feelings of depression, anxiety, and self-doubt. Here's the essence of how it works. Instead of criticizing yourself when you fail or fall short, you simply accept yourself as you are, warts and all. Paradoxically, acceptance is often the greatest change a human being can make. In fact, you may suddenly discover that self-acceptance and profound change are the same thing. To illustrate how self-acceptance paradox works, let's take the thought, I should be better than I am, or I shouldn't be so screwed up. Using the acceptance paradox, you could talk back to these thoughts along these lines. Yes, it would be wonderful to be better than I am. In fact, I have tons of flaws, and there's almost nothing about me that couldn't be improved. Do you see how it works? You learn to accept your flaws without hating yourself. So basically, okay, so I, that's all I want to read out of this book, to be honest. Um, because the reason why I read that part is I want to give you my own method for that, for talking back to your negative thoughts. Sometimes when I'm in such a loop, because when you're in a depression, a lot of times what's happening is your brain is just being a fucking bully to you. And it's telling you you're a worthless piece of shit because you feel like it, but whatever, like you, you, you feel like it. And sometimes it's hard to get out of that. But in talking back to those negative thoughts or like agreeing, like acceptance paradox, like daddy Burns said, but what if you just, just like 
Think of that sticky note I talked about a while ago. Like, work harder, you lazy fat fuck. Maybe if you weren't such a fat fucking turd, you would be loved. Like, sometimes I get so, like, I bully myself in a comedic, in such a, like, a, a mean way that it's hilarious to me. Now, obviously, don't do that to yourself if you, that would make you cry even more. But sometimes when I'm feeling like it, it, like just having a bad day and it's one of those things where so much energy has been built up that like dropping a pen would send me over the edge or like dropping any object or running into something would make me go, oh, of course this is going to fucking happen. Ugh. Like, you know, like any little thing is just terrible. So before I get to that space, this is one thing that I've been able to accomplish through meditating. I will kind of like bully myself, but in a fun way. And I'll just say, like, you fat fucking turd. Or just just call myself all these terrible names that are so funny that I laugh. And then, honestly, humor melts this shit away. That's why I'm like, guys, don't be going after comedians. Come on. We're just trying to figure out how to make you laugh through your pain. And sometimes people aren't ready to experience laughter with their pain. But we are. So, okay? Can you give me the floor, please? Anyway, all right, that's 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 Daddy Burns, guys. Let me, I gotta read, I really wanna try to be like under an hour. The Tao of Fully Feeling. Now, I, it's spelled T A O, it's by Pete Walker. Um, I thought it was called the Tao of Fully Feeling, but the, the narrator dude calls it the Tao of Fully Feeling. So I was like, okay, I guess he's right. He goes to school for narration. Um, so let's read some parts from the intro. And the, the, the tagline for this book, I think, is very important. The Tao of Fully Feeling, Harvesting Forgiveness Out of Blame. One of the reasons why I love this book is our, it, he really goes into how our culture shames you for blaming anybody. Like blaming people for, like blaming others for your problems. But, but when you're a fucking child and your dad, just say, I don't know, say your dad was an alcoholic who threw bottles at you. Yeah, you gotta blame your dad before you f- can forgive him. He ta- the author talks about bl- how healthy blame can be and how good it can be. Because then once you blame someone in like a healthy way, like a parent from when you were a kid, and you don't have got to do it to their face. You could do it privately, which is one of my favorite parts about this book. <laughs> uh, then you can forgive them. Then you have the room in your heart to forgive them. But you can't, you gotta fucking blame them first. Okay. And you have to acknowledge that what they did hurt you, it doesn't mean they're a bad person. It doesn't mean they're a bad parent. It doesn't mean they didn't try their best. I could not imagine being a damn parent. But, oh God, this, this book is so, so good. So good. Oh, so good. So let me uh, read uh, parts of the introduction of the Tao Fully Feeling. Okay, so this intro starts with a poem by E.E. E. Cummings. And that poem is, Since feelings is first who pays any attention to the syntax of things will never wholly kiss you. That gave me the goddamn willies, y'all. The goddamn willies. Okay. The Tao of Fully Feeling is a guide to reclaiming the emotional richness we are stripped of in childhood as our land is stripped of timber and coal. The Tao of Fully Feeling is born out of my personal struggle and the struggles of my clients and friends to reclaim their feelings. It is an invitation to discover how feeling and emoting naturally reprioritize our values so that love and intimacy are once again elevated above acquisition and consumption. 
The Dow Fully feeling focuses a great deal on the dysfunctional family, since that is where society's di- dictums, dictums, ah, oh, crap, should have looked that up first, against feelings are most stringently enforced. I agree with John Bradshaw that our culture is afflicted by an epidemic of poor parenting. Family dysfunctionality is so commonplace and normal in our society that it is difficult to recognize. Ironically, those who did not suffer extended physical abuse in childhood are the most likely to ignore the adverse effects of their childhoods. Nonetheless, most of the adult suffering I witness as a psychotherapist is rooted in non-physical forms of childhood abuse and neglect. The most common characteristic of adult suffering is self-hatred, and the most common focus of this hatred is our feelings. Feel your feelings, January, y'all. Most of us were attacked, shamed, or abandoned for being emotional at very early ages. (sighs) Before we can remember, most of us were forced to renounce our feelings and hate ourselves for having them. Oh my God, that part kills me. Because there's so many times where one of my parents would be like, why are you crying when I was a little kid? And I'm like, I'm I'm fucking crying. I'm four, okay? In comparing pre- and post-industrial parenting practices, practices, well, that's some onomatopoeia. It seems evident to me that Western parents have lost touch with their emotionally-based parenting instincts. This factor alone causes most of our children a great deal of unnecessary and inadvertent damage and deprivation. This observation is epitomized in the reaction of the Native Americans of California to the first Western settlers. They were so taken back by the Europeans' lack of compassion for their children, they disdainfully labeled them the people who beat their children. I have had innumerable experiences of envying the relationships between parents and children in primitive cultures. Parents in these cultures guide and care for their children in common sense ways that we have long abandoned, just as we have abandoned many of our feelings and instincts. Alice Miller describes the parenting process that robs us of our feelings before we can consciously own and value them. Quote, we have all developed the art of not experiencing feelings, For a child can only experience his feelings when there is somebody there who accepts him fully and understands and supports him. If that is missing, if the child must risk losing the mother's love or that of her substitute, that he cannot experience these feelings secretly just for himself but fails to experience them at all. As I meditated on Alice Miller's observation one day, this poem came to me. They cauterized my feelings to stop the bleeding of my tears and now I drown alone inside a pool that's hemorrhaged for years parents in non-industrialized societies love their children in ways that are beyond the capacity of most Western parents as much as we genuinely try and sincerely want to love our children we customarily fail miserably because we are divorced from our emotional natures afraid and ashamed of our emotions and our inner experience we do not inhabit the parts of our bodies that generate loving feelings There is a Native American story that highlights the dearth of love in our culture. A Western anthropologist living with and studying the Hopi Indians noticed over time that most of the Hopi songs were about water. One day he asked the shaman, how is it that you sing so much about water? In my culture, love is the theme that is most commonly expressed in our songs. Do your people not value love? The shaman of this desert culture replied, 
In my culture, our songs are frequently prayers, and we sing and pray for the precious things in life of which we do not have enough. Love is not one of them. Woo! The Tao Fully Feeling outlines a journey back to feelings and back to authentic, emotionally-based experiences of love. If we are ever to reacquire our inborn ability to effectively love our children, we must first learn to love ourselves and all our emotional states. We begin this, as absurd as it may seem, by forgiving ourselves and others who have for having feelings. We accomplish this by refusing to emulate our leaders and our parents, by breaking the habit acquired from them of blaming and shaming ourselves for most of our emotional responses to life. Ugh. I hope this book will help you understand that you're, you suffered serious losses in childhood in, if your parents adhered to and followed the norms of modern parenting practices. Your attention is directed to Appendix A, which is designed to help you make more informed assessment of this uh, assertion. So let me just real quick go. Oh, fuck, I'm over an hour. I have so many calls after this. I'm so addicted to stress, y'all. I just want to go over some. Uh, because some of the things that you're like, oh, that's not, that's that's good parenting. Every parent did that. <laughs> Bitch, no, it's not. Okay? This book blew my mind every time I read it. And this is my fourth time reading it. So, uh, you know, the, in terms of abuse, as the author puts it, here are some forms of verbal abuse. And see if you've suffered any of these when you was a kid. Name-calling, destructive or unfair criticism, sarcasm, teasing, verbal humiliation, character assassination, laundry listing, basically saying you did this and you did this and you did this, lying, double, double binds, double standards, do as I say, not as I, as I do, um, emotional abuse, dumping anger or shame via facial expressions, <laughs> and we'll get into each of these individually, trust me, body language, screaming or charged tone of voice. Rageaholism, hatred, humiliation, shaming, emotional incest, and emotional incest, he describes, as when the parent acts like the fucking kid is the fucking parent, and then the kid is like, I guess I'm the parent. That's emotional incest. Boy, that chapter really, that sucked for me. Punishment for expressing emotions. Uh, And then here we go with neglect, verbal neglect, the no talk rule. Unwilling to consistently engage in conversation, not allowing questions or uh, not allowing questions. Like when your parents say no, like, you know, you, we, and we see this. This is one of the examples that he'll go into. You ever see at the grocery store, uh, the mom says to the kid or the dad says to the kid, oh, put that back. And the kid goes, no, like they're three years old and they're like, they feel empowered. You could tell the kid feels empowered by saying no. And the parent grabs the fucking kid by the wrist the wrist and says you can't don't you fucking say that to me i mean i've seen that i've seen that i've experienced that as a child i see it all the time but we don't think about how fucked up that is okay and that's what we're gonna go into in this goddamn book now before i go i gotta read to you this one little part of a chapter that we will cover in the coming weeks but i just this is just to give you an example of uh of what this book talks about so you can be prepared this is in a little section called the dysfunctional family as a war zone. So I'm just going to read a couple paragraphs and I'm just going to read this poem and then we're going to, I'm going to bid you adieu and I will see you in 2021, bitches. Okay, ready? The dysfunctional family as a war zone. The flashbacks of combat veterans and survivors of dysfunctional families have often uh, similar antecedents. Members of both groups were forced to spend long periods of time in hyper anxious states. 
the soldier who lives for weeks and months in hostile territory where he may be killed at any moment, spends so much time frozen in terror that he becomes habitually fearful. The child who lives with a constantly angry parent never knows when he may be hit with another barrage of what often feels like homicidal, homicidal rage. Homos, homicidal rage. Both these situations carry the terrifying suspense of constantly anticipating ambush or incoming artillery fire. The child's situation is sometimes worse as he typically serves a longer tour of duty in his war zone. Children in abusive families, and this can be emotionally abusive, neglect is abuse, okay? It doesn't have to be that mom and dad beat the shit out of you, okay? <laughs> Children in abusive families are often struck or screamed at without warning. I have worked with many survivors who have spontaneously come up with the image of a war zone to describe their childhood homes. Many were ambushed repeatedly at the table woof, for normal acts of self-expression. Many also extend... <clears throat> Many also extend the metaphor by saying they lit, they felt like prisoners of war. They had few or no rights, could not escape, and no one to appeal to, no matter how badly they were treated. Some had it even worse than prisoners of war, who are at least nomal, nominally whoops, guaranteed certain rights by the Geneva Convention. Until recently, there was nowhere a child could go to appeal for fair treatment, and even now, Child Protective Services cannot help unless the child's body is physically marked by mistreatment. Psychotherapist Jane Middleton uh, quotes poet Nancy Presley Hawley on this theme in her book, Children of Trauma. Oof. Okay. Do not operate heavy machinery while I read this goddamn poem. Mm. And I was unarmed. I never, I never got just the one-year tour of duty. In some battle-torn country, I was there for the duration from birth to age 18, escaping like a prisoner of war, only to be snapped back into the fold when they'd find out where I lived or I broke down and told. Normal children activities like play? Not this child. I was always combat-ready, training myself to survive. I had to be on guard, alert, for the fist in the stomach, a slap upside the head, because I'd spoken when I was supposed to be quiet, or asked for something to eat, or even colored over the lines. I never knew when the flack would hit. There was never any warning. I wish there'd been someone to scream incoming. Nighttime was the worst, but unlike armed camps, there weren't any sentries. Laying in my bed, hovering between exhaustion and sleep, listening for the whisper of the intruder, just in case he crept towards my room, or wa waking to find he'd already infiltrated and was lying on top of me. How could I do anything else except play dead? Woo! I mean, goddamn, right? Woof! Okay, so guys, congrats on not killing yourself, truly. I'm so excited for Feel Your Feelings January. I have a lot of cool things in store. Be sure to follow me on social media at Christina Hutch um, because I'm going to be doing, I'm going to, I got a lot of cool stuff in store. So I'm excited for it. Thank you for being here. If you wouldn't mind giving me a rating and review on iTunes um, so that other people can feel it, could see me on the top charts and then feel their feelings. And everyone's like, wow, Christina, you're making me feel my feelings. I didn't even know I had these feelings. I'm like, making the world a better place, bitch. And they're like, yeah. And, and then, and then so on. Okay, so guys, we got this. We got this. We're gonna figure it out. We're gonna we're gonna cry. We're gonna love. We're gonna learn. <sighs> Congrats on not killing yourself. I will talk to you next Wednesday and next year. I'm trying.